Hey, this is Brent Ingersoll from King's Church. Thanks so much for tuning into our podcast. I pray that this message you're about to hear empowers you, encourages you, challenges you, and equips you to live the life that Jesus has for you. Thanks for tuning in. Who's ready for some good news? We ready? Put it in the chat. You ready for some good news? Today, we're going to almost bring in our series we've been calling Good News. We're going to bring it in for a landing. Uh, we're going to be just coming down the, to, to the very end of this series. I got a couple bonus ones we might do, but really this is where the kind of the synopsis of the good news sort of c- comes to a like a fulfillment. Let me use that word. And just to catch you up, we've been talking about this good news. It's the message of Jesus. It's this idea, this announcement of the good news about Jesus, about who he is and what he's done. And each week, I don't know if you've caught this or not, but there's been this this kind of progression that has happened. The first week we found out that this announcement says that Jesus came. Good news, Jesus came. God came. Love came. It came to us. He did it. He bridged the gap. He paid the debt. He came on our behalf. The good news begins with God. It's something that he did. Him coming to us, God in the flesh. And then we looked at this idea that Jesus didn't just come, but Jesus lived. He showed us. He demonstrated the way. He touched the sick and healed them. He, he cleansed the leper. He walked on water. He showed his own authority. And he taught us the truth, proclaiming that he himself is the truth. Jesus lived. Jesus came. Jesus lived. And then we talked about the fact that Jesus came on a mission to die. He came to give his life as ransom to that this king was going to be crowned by culminating his kingdom through a death on a cross that would bring us to life. And so we found out that Jesus died, but that our hope isn't in the ground. It isn't in a death, but it's actually in a resurrection. And we found out last week that this good news is this, that Jesus came, Jesus lived, Jesus died, and Jesus rose again in victory, beginning a whole new creation, which is just an incredible thought. But today, this good news just keeps getting gooder. It keeps getting better. It keeps getting greater. It just keeps expanding. And here it is. The good news is this. If you're taking notes, write this down. The good news, here here it is. Five things. The good news is that Jesus came, Jesus lived, Jesus died, Jesus rose, and Jesus left. Wait, what? Yeah, Jesus left. This is the title today. I want you to hang with me. The good news of Jesus Christ is that Jesus came, Jesus lived, Jesus died, Jesus rose, and that Jesus left us. He left us. He actually went away. The Bible tells us at the end of the Gospels, it tells us that Jesus, after he'd risen from the dead, he collected his disciples. He showed himself to them. He proved that he'd risen from the dead. And then we find this thing happens. He actually, they saw him with their own eyes ascend to heaven and disappear in the clouds. And there he is, gone. This is what the Bible actually records, that Jesus left them, but he told them he was going to do it. He told them in advance and he told them that it's not actually a loss that I'm leaving you. It's actually for your good. It's actually better. He was leaving us. And here's why it's good news. Jesus left so that the Holy Spirit could come. Jesus ascended to heaven so that the Holy Spirit could come from heaven to us to dwell here with us on earth. This is the good news that Jesus was convinced is absolutely the best part of what he came to do. Not just that he came to live, to be with us, not that he just came to die on our behalf or to rise in victory, beginning a new creation that might be some hope for us someday, but he ascended to heaven as King of kings and Lord of lords and gave us his presence 
the Holy Spirit, his very living presence with us, on us, and through us. That is the good news. That's the good news I want to talk about. And Jesus was confident that it was better. Look what he said to his disciples. He actually told them in advance that he was going to be leaving. He said, it's, it's better. It's better that I go. It is for your good that I'm going away, that I'm leaving. Unless I go away, the advocate, another word for the Holy Spirit, will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Jesus proclaimed that as I go, the Holy Spirit is going to come and it's going to be better because the Holy Spirit is the one that actually fulfills the life that God has called and claimed for us in Jesus. It's the Holy Spirit that does that. He's the one that fulfills it. And in fact, Jesus was so convinced that it's not only better that we have the Holy Spirit, but it's absolutely necessary. He told his disciples one more thing before he left them. He said, look, do not try this at home. He said, do nothing. He said, basically, wait where you are until you receive my spirit. Because if you don't, you cannot live the life that I just purchased for you. You cannot experience all that I have just accomplished for you until you have my presence. Look what he said to them. He said it in the book of Acts. He said, on one occasion while he was eating with them, he gave them this commandment. Do not, everyone say do not, say it in the chat. Do not leave Jerusalem. Don't try to be a Christian. Don't try to follow me. Don't try to live this out because you're going to fail. What you need to do is wait for the gift my father has promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but here it is. But in a few days, you have to wait a few days, Jesus said. It turned out to be 10. In a few days, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Jesus proclaimed that it's not only better, but it's absolutely necessary. And so the story goes like this. On the day of Pentecost, the day of Pentecost was 50 days after the Passover where Jesus died on the cross. 50 is an important number. It represents freedom. It represents liberty. 50 days after Pentecost, 10 days after Jesus told them that he was going to give them the Spirit, 10 represents law. So this new law of freedom he told 120 disciples to stay in the upper room. 120 also is a cool number. The number of appointment for all my number nerds out there. An appointment of freedom and a brand new law. And the Bible says here in Acts chapter 2, I hope you have it open. This is one of the best texts of all scripture. This is the, where the good news gets the goodest. Look at this. It says, when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Just like Jesus told them to do. There's a reward for being obedient. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing, like the blowing of a violent, a rushing wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. And all of them were filled with, say it, the Holy Spirit. And they began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. This is the great day of celebration. This is the day the church was born. This is the day that the believers, the people of God, the followers of Jesus received the gift of the Holy Spirit. And it was this that Jesus said is the very best thing about what I came to do. The best thing isn't that I just came to show you that God loves you. It's not the best thing that I came and showed you how to live your life and taught you all truth and, lead, and led you into it. It's not even the best thing that I died on the cross or that I rose again. How incredible is that? The best thing is this, that because I've accomplished this and I've ascended to heaven in victory, I am now giving you the Holy Spirit and I've created the space, the form that God will fill with his very presence. This is the good news, that Jesus left and the Spirit 
came. That the Spirit is here. That Jesus gave us the Spirit. That the, the Father sent the Spirit through the accomplishment of Jesus. And that the Spirit is here for us, in us, and through us. It is the great culmination of the good news of the gospel. Can I get an amen? Now, the reality though is this. Many of us don't actually see the Holy Spirit as the great, the great culmination of the gospel. We kind of think of it as like an, an appendix, an addition. It's this thing that, oh yeah, and the Holy Spirit. It's almost, if I can just go there, in a lot of our traditions as Christians, except for a very few uh, minute streams, in a lot of our traditions, the Holy Spirit's kind of an afterthought. We think of God in the Old Testament and we think of Jesus and what he's accomplished in the New Testament. But when it comes to the Holy Spirit and living out this part of our story, we often forget about him. Many of us are missing the greatest gift that God has given us. You ever miss a gift at Christmas? You, you, you forgot that one gift? Look, God actually saved the best for last. He gave us the gift of his, his very presence, the Holy Spirit. But a lot of us live having missed the gift, misunderstood him, misplaced him, misapplied him. But here's the deal. I am convinced that the devil is quite, he's okay with you thinking about things of faith. He's okay with you thinking about theology and trying to understand the cross and how it works and hearing about the resurrection. But what he wants to make sure happens is that we never actually come into contact or fulfillment with the Holy Spirit. Because once the Holy Spirit gets a hold of us, he's never letting go. And there's nothing that he cannot do in and through and for us. The Holy Spirit is the great gift. And I, I wonder if he's not the one thing that so many of us are missing. Paul the Apostle said this is going to be a problem in the church. He told us that a lot of us are going to have the form of what it looks like to be a Christian. Like Jesus established the form, but he said we're going to miss the fire. We're going to miss the fulfillment. He said it like this in 2 Timothy. He said, mark this down. There will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal. He must have been talking about another time, right? Not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers. No, that's, that's us. Lovers of God. Then look what he says. Next slide. He says, they will have a form of godliness. There's the form but they'll deny the power that can make them godly. They'll deny its power. And he says, have nothing to do with such people. You see, the gospel is the good news that God has given us the very power that accomplishes all that God wants to do in us. That it's possible, though, for us to have a form of godliness, to have a form of what it looks like to be a Christian, but we actually aren't plugged into the power of the, the Spirit that can accomplish it, that can actually make us godly. Here's the good news. God not only paid the way for you, He not only forgave your debt and cleansed your past, He not only promises your future, but He has given you present power in and of Himself in the Holy Spirit to fulfill your whole life. That is incredible. To absolutely fulfill your whole life. So really quickly today, I want to speak about the Holy Spirit. I want to give you three kind of ideas surrounding the Holy Spirit. I want to establish three realities about the Holy Spirit. I want to ask, I want to find out who the Holy Spirit is, who Holy Spirit is, what Holy Spirit does, 
and why he's good news. Who he is, what he does, and why the Holy Spirit is good news. I hope you're still with me. If you have the note guide, this is a great week to have it open because this is information that clarity is king. We need to make sure we have it right and we don't get it twisted. First thing is this. Let's talk about who is the Holy Spirit. Who is the Holy Spirit? The first thing we need to know about Holy Spirit is this. That Holy Spirit is God. Holy Spirit is God. We get this messed up so often, not just explicitly where some people have tried to put the Holy Spirit as like this kind of third tier sort of JV outside of the really the, the Mount Rushmore of, of, of who God is. We don't really think about the Holy Spirit rightly. A lot of people get this wrong, but a lot of us get it wrong implicitly. We ignore the Holy Spirit. We forget about the Holy Spirit. But the Bible tells us that the Holy Spirit is fully God. That God is three distinct beings in one distinct person. That he is three in one. This is where we get the Godhead, the Trinity. That is God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And it's not in descending order. Don't get that in your mind. It's not like there's God the Father, God the, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. No, it's God the Father begot the Son, didn't make him, begot him. And the Son begot the Spirit. That they, they've, they're from one another and with one another and they are the same one and the same. And, and we know this because the Bible actually often uses them interchangeably. Like if you listen to the words of Jesus, Jesus once said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. We're one and the same. They're the same person. But it also tells us in Acts, uh, Paul, uh, Peter is telling Ananias and Sapphira what they did wrong. And he says this, he says, look, you lied to the Holy Spirit. You lied to God. He uses it interchangeably. The Holy Spirit is fully God. He is God with us. It's incredible to think about that when we start realizing that he's fully God and we stop treating him like some third fiddle, third class citizen. Like if you're a sports fan, you know what? The Holy Spirit is not Draymond Green to Steph Curry and Clay Thompson or maybe we go 90s. He's not Horace Grant to Scottie Pippen and Michael Jordan. He is God, fully God. I missed a whole bunch of people on that analogy, but I got a few of you. You know what I'm saying? He is fully God. They're on the same level. They're the same person. This is so important. If the Holy Spirit is God, then it's important that we don't approach him flippantly, isn't it? How incredible is it that we can just ignore God Almighty? But we do. We ignore, when, we, we, when, when you ignore the Holy Spirit, you are ignoring the Ancient of Days. You are ignoring the one who was and is and is to come. You are ignoring the one who's, who created all things and by, thing, by, all, by it and for it all things were made. You are ignoring God, the, the Father who, who dwells in inapproachable light when we ignore him or we are flippant about him. But he is fully God. He, all the qualities of God the Father, the Holy Spirit has. And all the qualities of God the Son, the Holy Spirit has. So all the things that make you revere and fear the Father, we should think about that with the Holy Spirit. He's omnipotent, omniscient. All, he's, he's omnipresent. He's, he's, he's absolutely all-powerful. That's who He is. He's creative. He is power. He doesn't have power. That's who He is. And we should think of the Holy Spirit that way. He's also, though, just like Jesus, He's all love. He's all grace. The very same way that we, we, we revere the Father, we should revere the Son. And the very same way we fear the Father, we should fear the Son. The very same way we love the Father, we should love the Son. And the same is true of the Spirit. He is God. He is God. So important that we realize that He is God and has all the attributes 
and qualities. All the things you love about Jesus are true about the Holy Spirit. All the things you fear about God are true of the Holy Spirit. He is God. Let's not get it twisted. Second thing we need to know about, about the Holy Spirit is He is Spirit. Holy Spirit is Spirit. Now what do I mean by that? What is it, what, what's, what, what, why is this worth defining? Well, it's because this is where we go wrong. We don't just go wrong in how we think about who He is, but even like what He is. The, the word spirit in your Bible comes from like the Anglo-Saxon word ghast is where we get the word ghost. It's, it's immaterial. The Holy Spirit is not matter. He's supernature. He's outside of the material world. He's metaphysical. He's outside of the material existence. That's who the Holy Spirit is. He is a spirit. Now, how does that flesh itself out in, in real time? This is getting tricky, isn't it? Well, the reason we need to understand that he's a spirit is that we can have a lot of misconceptions. Sometimes we can think of God as the Holy Spirit as like a, a force, that he's this force, that he's sort of this, uh, you know, this idea of this immaterial stuff. But that's, that's not what he is. He's a spirit. He's this, he's a spirit. Like, look, look what the scripture says. 1 Corinthians 2. It says, The natural person does not accept the things of the spirit. They are folly to him. And he cannot understand them, for they are spiritually discerned. They're not, they're not understood within nature. It's supernature. John 14. Jesus said, The world cannot receive him because it isn't looking for him doesn't recognize him. He is super nature. He is immaterial. He is he's outside of matter. Now, here, let me just put this out here, though, for some of you who are like maybe skeptics. Don't just automatically assume that, you know, just because something isn't visible that it's not true. And just because something can't be seen or touched or, or, or quantified scientifically doesn't mean it's true. I, I would cause you to think about gravity. Gravity. You don't, not, none of us actually know what gravity is or how it works. We just know it does. Very similar, there's this law of the Spirit that is actually at work in and around us. The Holy Spirit is a spirit. Let's look at another one. The Holy Spirit is a person. The Holy Spirit is a person. Now, when we get thinking about this reality, it means that he's not a force. The Holy Spirit isn't a force. Like, it's not, this isn't pantheism. This isn't Star Wars. You know, the Spirit isn't in all things and all around us, and we just need to learn how to control it, like midi-chlorians, if all my Star Wars nerds know what that is. That's not what the Holy Spirit is. In fact, you don't control the Holy Spirit. The Bible tells us that we're supposed to be controlled by the Holy Spirit. So it's not this force that we can play with or be manipulated with. And I've actually legitimately seen people almost like pretending to throw the Holy Spirit or like they somehow control it like superpowers. That, that is not biblical. In fact, we are supposed to get in line and in step and to be obedient to what the Holy Spirit's doing. I interacting with the Holy Spirit isn't you commanding him around so much as it is you being obedient to what he's already doing. He's not a force. The Holy Spirit isn't good luck. It's not just this, like, it's not karma. It's not what goes around, comes around. He has a mind. He has a will. He's doing things. He's active in the world. The Holy Spirit is not a feeling. He's not enthusiasm. He's not cheer. He's not goodwill. He's, you know, it's not the same to, to come into a service and say, you know, that was spirited. No, the Holy Spirit is a being. He is a person. And, and, and very important that we know he's not a personification. The Holy Spirit is not some personification of God like Santa Claus is the personification of Christmas or Jack Frost is the personification of winter. The Holy Spirit is a distinct being that is longing and looking to interact with people. Incredible. Relationally. 
This is so important. I hope that helps somebody. He is a being. He is an individual. The Holy Spirit is a person which tells us, the Bible tells us he has a mind, that he has a will, that he has emotions. The Holy Spirit can be grieved. You can grieve the Holy Spirit. He can be insulted. He can be resisted. He can be ignored. He can be lied to. The Holy Spirit is a person. So who is the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit is God who is a spirit and who is a being, who is a person that we are to relate to. That's who the Holy Spirit is. Now let's answer the second question because we're going to get to why this is good news in just a second. Second question is what Holy Spirit does. Let's try to find out what the Holy Spirit does. I got four ideas that I want you to write down. The first is this. The Holy Spirit provides perspective or like illumination, revelation, vision on reality. The Holy Spirit, one of his primary jobs, one of the primary things he's trying to get us to do is to see, to open up our minds, to change us from being blind to having sight because the Bible tells us that Satan has blinded the minds of unbelievers and that what the Spirit is working to do is to, is to light, is to illuminate us to see the truth. That's what the Spirit does. He reveals truth. He's working to enable you to see things you weren't seeing before, constantly trying to help us see. Look what it says in 1 Thessalonians. This is for when Paul's talking. When we brought you the good news, it was not only with words, but with power. For the Holy Spirit gave you full assurance or revealed that what we said was true. And that's what the Holy Spirit's doing right now. Even as I speak and the limits of my words and the limits of your attention span, the Spirit is working for you to see and conceive and to realize that what I'm saying is true. And if it is, this changes everything. He works to provide perspective. This is what he does. He, he, he shows us our sinfulness. If you've ever felt conviction, if you've ever had a sense that that's wrong, I shouldn't do that, or to not do that would be wrong, if you've ever had that, conviction is something the Holy Spirit does. That it's evidence of his work, showing the law of God and, and, the, and the standard of God. He reveals those things to us. The Holy Spirit reveals all truth. That's what he does. He provides perspective. You know what else he does? He points us, and this is so important. I want you to hear this. The Holy Spirit points and pushes us to Jesus. The primary thing the Holy Spirit is doing on the earth is to get all people to adore, submit, believe, surrender to, to love, to be passionate about, to proclaim Jesus. That's what the Holy Spirit's trying to do. If you want to know if the Holy Spirit's at work, say the name of Jesus. Think about Jesus. If, if you want to know that the Holy Spirit's been at work, if you love Jesus more, he's been at work. It's like, it's like uh, Jeff Foxworthy. You might be a redneck if, well, the Holy Spirit might be at work if you love Jesus more. That's what he's about. That's what the Holy Spirit does. He's working to draw us to Jesus, to make us surrender to Jesus, to make us trust Jesus, to make us love Jesus, that Jesus would be known on the earth. That is the Holy Spirit's primary job. That's what he's trying to do, to reveal Jesus. This is why Jesus said in Acts chapter 1, he says, wait for the Holy Spirit. And when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you will be my witnesses. The Holy Spirit is going to enable you to show people me, is what Jesus was saying. This is why in Acts chapter 2, when Peter goes out and he proclaims the gospel of Jesus, just an ordinary man saying, piecing together some scriptures just like me, but the Holy Spirit comes upon him and 3,000 people, 
just all of a sudden have a, have a revelation like, oh, Jesus is Lord. I need to repent. I need to give my life to him. It's because that's what the Holy Spirit does. If you have turned your life over to Jesus and every moment that you've surrendered to him, it's been the Holy Spirit at work in you to make you do that. He's active. So some of you are like, I don't know the Holy Spirit. Maybe not, but he's at work in you. He's actually doing things. Here's something I know to be true. I know it from my own life. I know it, I know it through church ministry. Holy Spirit is most active when Jesus is being proclaimed, when Jesus is being adored, when Jesus is being studied, when he's being preached, when he's being focused on. That's when the Holy Spirit is active. The people who walk in the greatest degrees of power of the Holy Spirit are people who adore and proclaim and are obedient to Jesus. Holy Spirit-filled churches. Sometimes you hear that term, like that's a Spirit-filled church. Maybe. Here's, here's, the, here's the qualification of a Holy Spirit-filled church. The church that proclaims and adores and loves and absolutely admonishes the person of Jesus. A Jesus-centered church is a Holy Spirit-filled church. That's it. Yes, you know, this, this is why some people get it mixed up and they think like signs and wonders are what ev are evidence of the Spirit. No, signs and wonders follow the people of God. The evidence of the Spirit is the focus on the Son. That's what the Spirit is doing. The mark of a Spirit-filled church, the mark of a Spirit-filled person is adoration of Jesus. Can I get an amen? Say it right in the chat. Say, I love Jesus. For you to proclaim that shows the Spirit at work. It's what he does. You are being influenced by the Spirit the moment that you think about Jesus. You speak the name of Jesus. You proclaim the name of Jesus. You surrender to Jesus. It's because the Holy Spirit's been at work. That's what he does. So he absolutely points us to Jesus. Third idea of what the Holy Spirit does. Number three, he produces fruit. This is where it gets good. This is getting good. Say it's getting good. It's, this is getting good. He's, he produces fruit in us. This is good news. I'm going to free somebody up right now. Jesus, the reason he told the church, go and sit in a room until the Holy Spirit comes and do nothing else or you'll screw it up. The reason he did this is because he realized that you and I lack the power to be like him. And the only way that we can be like him is with him, him in us, him through, him through us. And what God does is he gives us the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit produces transformation. He produces fruit. Transformation into the likeness of Christ is the byproduct of the Holy Spirit. Nothing more, nothing less. This Christian life was never meant to be something that you and I did on our own strength. And if you've ever followed Jesus and tried to do it on your own strength, can I get in the witness? It's impossible. It's not possible, is it? Say it in the chat. It's not. But here's the thing. When the Spirit gets residence in you, to the degree the Spirit has space in you will be the degree that He produces fruit in you. To the degree that you've yielded to the Spirit and He dwells in you and upon you, He will start to bear fruit and you will start to look more like Jesus. You'll grow in the fruit of the Spirit. This is why Paul says in Galatians, he says the fruit of the Spirit, the Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. If, if you want evidence that God has you and you're a follower of Jesus and the Spirit's at work, here's what it's going to be. There's going to be love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. These are the byproduct. Note something here really quick. Notice it doesn't say fruits of the Spirit. Very important. A lot of people say the fruits of the Spirit. It is not plural. Here's why. Because we were never meant to focus on the individual fruit. 
We weren't meant to think about, oh, you know what? I'm really lacking self-control. I need more self-control. So I got to figure out how to get more self-control. No, we were made to focus on the fruit because why? The fruit was never meant to be our focus in the first place. We're supposed to pursue the Spirit. And as you pursue the Spirit, fruit becomes the byproduct. See, I think sometimes we think of like the Christianity, like spiritual superstore, that I need to like show up and I need to get a little more, a little more gentleness because I'm lacking gentleness or I need a little more self-control because I'm lacking self-control. No, you don't need more of those things. You need more of the Holy Spirit who produces those things. You see the difference? We have one job, to abide to remain in the vine. And the way we remain in the vine, the vine of Jesus is through the Holy Spirit. And as you remain in Him, if you lack peace, we weren't ever meant to go and try to engineer peace. You are meant to engage Jesus who is peace through the Holy Spirit and peace becomes the byproduct. That is, that is helping somebody. That is so important. Do not distinguish between the fruit of the Spirit. Distinguish the Holy Spirit who as He takes up residence in your life, He creates fruitfulness. Whatever you lack as far as character, as far as power, as far as peace, the Holy Spirit is the one that produces that in you. And that sets you free. And I, I know for a lot of us, like if you grew up like me, I was under the impression, I don't know why, I don't think anyone ever told me this, but just under this impression that, okay, it's my job to be like Jesus. No, it's not. It's the Holy Spirit's job to make you like Jesus. Your job is to abide. Amen. Can I get an amen in the chat? He produces fruit. Last thought about what he does, and I'm going to bring it in for a landing here and tell you why it's good news. He is present power in and through us. He doesn't just produce transformation and change, but he actually gives us power. One of the words for the Holy Spirit in the Greek is the word dunamis. It's where we get the word dynamite. It's active, living, moving power. That's what the Holy Spirit does. That's who he is. He gives us power we don't have. If he is supernatural, he produces and has supernatural power. Power that comes from outside, from beyond, from above, from within. He's able to empower us. And I've seen it not just in the scripture, but in my own life and, and in many of yours. The Holy Spirit is present power of the grace of God in our lack and in our weakness. What, what does he do? There's a few things that he does through his power. He, he, he comforts us. He gives us comfort. The Bible tells us that he's the paraclete, the comforter. That he'll actually give us the power of comfort. Have you ever been in a time, and I have with some of you actually, in a time of trial, and I've gone through this myself. There have been times in my life where I have felt alone and I just needed to know God was there. And I, I kid you not, there's been a, a handful of times in my life where I have felt the Spirit of God come around me, almost like someone coming over me like a hug and enveloping me and gripping me and comforting me and telling me, even though the circumstance didn't necessarily change, it's going to be all right. I'm with you. I love you. I have you. This is the peace that passes understanding. I've been with so many of you. I've been in hospital rooms and at funerals where that peace is present. It's supernatural power. He brings comfort. This is what he does. He, not only that, he teaches us. He teaches us all truth. He reveals hidden mysteries. He can give us words of knowledge. Have you ever had someone come up and tell you, I think God wants me to tell you this, and they tell you something so specific, a word of knowledge, that only God could have known that? It's incredible. 
I'll tell you what, it absolutely can undo you and rebuild you all at once. If you've ever had a word of knowledge, someone coming up to you, where God supernaturally told them something they needed to hear, and they told you that, it's incredible. God can do that. He can equip us. He can give us the right word at the right time. Not just that. He can give us the right abilities. This is what he does in the church. He's supernaturally. If you're a Christian, you might not know this, but through the Holy Spirit, you have been given supernatural gifts that are built for the edification, the building of the church. God has given each of us different gifts, not of ourselves, but supernatural gifts to actually help build the church and expand the kingdom. It's incredible. This is what he does. He equips us. He gives us supernatural power. I've seen power to heal. I've seen the Holy Spirit heal bodies. I've seen him heal marriages. I've seen him heal minds. I've seen him heal sleepless nights. I've seen him cast out demons. I've seen him overcome just about anything you can imagine. The Holy Spirit does this. And Jesus said, Jesus said, he said, you'll do even greater things than I did. He told his disciples, he said, here's what I'm going to tell you to do. Go heal the sick. Go cast out demons. Go cleanse lepers. Go raise the dead. Here, go. Does that feel like an overwhelming call to some of you? Yes, absolutely. Hey, go raise the dead this afternoon. You can't, but guess who can? The Holy Spirit can. Jesus can. And this is what he does. He has supernatural power. Last thing I think I I need you to hear that he does is he gives us assurance The Holy Spirit gives us assurance that we belong to him. Some of you worry that, am I saved? Am I actually saved? It's the Holy Spirit that convinces your heart that you are saved. This is what Paul was saying in Romans 8 when he says, you haven't received a spirit of slavery or fear. fear. Instead, you've received God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children. And now we call him Abba, Daddy. It's convinced us that God is my father He'll never let me go. It's the Holy Spirit that does that. The Holy Spirit is the power of God at work in us to transform us into the likeness of Christ and empower us to do the very things that Jesus did. In the words of John Wimber, we're supposed to do the Jesus stuff. How incredible. We, the church, are actually, this is what Jesus meant in Acts 1.8, you will be my witnesses. Uh, another way to translate that is a living embodiment. Little Christ's. We are supposed to be like him, to touch bodies and see healing, to speak truth that breaks down lies, to break chains, to to free captives, to cast out demons. The Spirit empowers us to do that. Does anybody like just want, like, I pray if nothing else today, this just whets your appetite for more, that we're supposed to do the Jesus stuff. We're supposed to do the kingdom stuff. He died that we could do that because he gave us the Holy Spirit, his very presence, the supernatural power of God for whom nothing is impossible. He dwells in us through the Holy Spirit. It's the gift of the Spirit. People who are living with and by the Holy Spirit have tangible, evidential power. Don't get it twisted. Power accompanies them. Signs and wonders follow them. That is what normal Christian life is supposed to be. And if I could just prophesy for a minute, I am believing that we are about to see a wave of the Holy Spirit where the normal in our lives and the normal in our children's lives and the normal in our children's children's lives is going to be vastly different from what you and I have called normal up to this point. Can I get an amen? He's, he, the normal Christian life is empowered by the Holy Spirit. Last thought, why, good, why is this good news? Well, I think I've just said it, but let me, if, in case you missed it. 
The Holy Spirit is good news because first, he's present proof of the all-time promise. The Bible tells us that he's a sign. He's a seal. He's the guarantee that God didn't just come in the person of Jesus and live and teach us and die and rise and leave us behind. He didn't leave for good. What did he do? Jesus left so the Spirit could come and be with us until the moment Jesus returns and all things are made fully new. It means that he's with us for the long haul. It means when Jesus says, I will never leave you or forsake you, it meant his spirit is with us. It is the guarantee that not only this stuff is all true, but it's going to come true as well in fullness. He's also present power for this life. Look, let me just tell somebody, if the Holy Spirit doesn't equip you and fulfill you and empower you and endow you, you cannot live the life that God has called you to live. It is only by the Spirit. And we cannot be the church that God wants us to be unless the Spirit rests upon us, unless there is an outpouring of the Spirit upon us. Final thought is this. The Holy Spirit is the present, the present, the gift of his presence. He is the gift of his presence. There was a man, for some of you who are maybe new to Christianity or maybe you don't know church history, there's a man named John Wesley. And John Wesley is actually, we, we come from a tradition, our church actually comes from a tradition that was birthed by him. And John Wesley was just an ordinary guy uh, in England in the 1700s. And in, in May of, uh, it was about 282 years ago, I forget which, what year that would make this, I'm going to do the math. In May, on May 24th, 282 years ago, a guy named John Wesley was reading his Bible and he, he, he used the words, he says, something came over me. I was reading the Bible and something, something landed on me. And he used this language, he says, my heart was strangely warmed. And that is evidence of the Holy Spirit. His touch is incredible. His touch is incredible. If you've ever had the Spirit touch you, it's, it's, this, this joy just, just, just grows in your heart. And he says, my heart was strangely warmed. And that moment, John Wesley was filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, now I want to just say something that's going to make some of you uncomfortable. He was a Christian before. He was a Christian before that moment. He was a believer. He was reading his Bible. But there was this second work that God did in his life. Not just the work of salvation. Jesus did that. But the work of the Spirit landing on him like in the first church. And John, John Wesley says, my heart was strangely warmed. And the shift in his life after that moment, this man was on fire. He gave every waking hour to see the kingdom come in England and all over the earth as it is in heaven. And people credit him to the single greatest transformational wave in Western history through what God did in his heart that day by the Holy Spirit landing on him. John Wesley created what's called Methodism and it sprung all kinds of different things about Christianity that we know today, Pentecostalism, we, we come from that as well. And, and here's the crazy thing. He lived his life. He affected the whole world. God did signs and wonders through him. He, he, he literally saved millions of people. The great awakening came through this man and, and, a, and a few others. And it tells us though, history tells us that at the end of John Wesley's life, the very end of his life, he, he was on his deathbed and he said these words, he said, these are, these are the credited last words of John Wesley. He said, best thing of all is God with us. The best of all is God with us. 
a man who had lived his whole life engaging with the presence of the Holy Spirit. He said, this is the best part about it, his presence. His presence is the best part about it. What's the best part? What's the goodest news of the Holy Spirit? It's not just that he transforms you. It's not just that he empowers you. It's not just that he brings you through. It's not just that he gives you comfort or peace that passes understanding. The best news about the Holy Spirit is this. You get to know God. We get to be friends with him. That should blow your mind a little bit. You get to be friends with God. Friends with the Holy Spirit. Like it, like it says in the Old Testament, Moses spoke to God face to face. It tells us that Abraham was considered a friend of God. And through the work of Jesus, it's not just these special superstars that get these, these amazing appointments and relationships with God, but through Jesus, all of us can know God personally and intimately. You can know him in your waking and in your sleeping, in your living, and in your dying. It's the greatest gift of the Holy Spirit. This is why it's good news. I did write a, I did write a definition. Let's go back a couple. I wrote a definition about why the Holy Spirit is good news. And here, here's what I said. He is the presence of God in and on and through the people of God that enables the life of God and accomplishes the mission of God. But best of all, best of all, God is with us. Let me ask, let's ask ourselves a few questions today as we, as, we, as we wrap up. Have you been missing out on the most incredible reality of the gospel, the Holy Spirit in, on, and through you? Like, would you say you've had an encounter with the Holy Spirit? Like, I, I know the Spirit's been at work. I already told you that. If, you, if you've been thinking about Jesus, he's been at work. He's working on you, but... Has he had permission in your life to land upon you and take up residence in you, to fill you? Have you received the Holy Spirit? And I'm just going to risk today a little bit and just say this. I think there are a lot of people in the church, in our church, who are blood-bought believers of Jesus, who are going to die and go to heaven, who are good people, who God is changing, but you have never had the baptism of the Holy Spirit. You have never had the Spirit of God fall on you and strangely warm your heart in a way that it can never be undone. And you lack power. Not only that, but you lack the gift of knowing his presence. Third question. Are you willing to ask for the gift of the Holy Spirit right now? Now, I realize the limitations of this. I realize you're probably in your living room or maybe you're listening in your car. But are you willing to ask the Holy Spirit to, to fill you, to, to land on you right now? And I actually believe today there's a grace for this. I, I, I felt coming into this weekend that this year's Pentecost weekend Something was going to shift on the earth. And I don't totally know what it means other than this. I can at least place together. I can connect the dots and say, we as the church need to be diligent in positioning, our, positioning ourselves like the first church on Pentecost, saying, God, we aren't going without your spirit. We're not leaving this room without your presence. I'm not, I can't be a father that I need to be without your presence. I can't be the husband. I can't, I can't raise my kids. I can't, we can't be the church you want us to be without your presence. And we need to ask and we need to wait on your presence to fall upon us fresh. So I want to pray today. I'm going to pray for three things just as we wrap up. 
I'm going to pray for that, that the Holy Spirit would fall fresh on you. That you'd fall fresh on me. That, that, that would be your prayer. That the Holy Spirit would fall fresh on you. And then maybe for many of you, this will be the first time. And I think, I think there will be some of you that have real tangible moments right now, even as you hear me speak, where something is going to come upon your heart when I pray. I'm just going to put that out there in advance. Something is going to come upon your heart and you might even feel heat. You might even feel weight rest upon your body. There might actually be things that you see in the physical that are evidence of the spiritual thing that is happening. And then I want to ask that the Spirit would fall fresh on the church, on our church. And then we're going to ask that the Spirit would fall fresh on the earth. I just feel, I just feel the Holy Spirit even here right now. So let me pray for you. Maybe even just get, get yourself in a posture to receive. Maybe put, maybe put one hand on your heart. Maybe that can represent my hand today. The Bible tells us that Paul went and he laid hands on people to receive the Holy Spirit. So maybe today, through the medium of technology, just place your hand on your heart and put one open as to receive. And let me pray today that God's Spirit would fall fresh on you. So right now, I just pray in Jesus' name. God, we come to you. Father, we thank you for sending the Son to, to the, who, who died in our place, who rose for, in victory, who established the kingdom and called us to life eternal. And he ascended to the right hand of the Father, but he didn't leave us alone. He sent us the Holy Spirit. And so, Father, we thank you for it. God, forgive us for ignoring you, Holy Spirit. Yeah, forgive us for, for ignoring you, for not thinking about you the same way we do Jesus and we do the Father. Missing the very one who can lead us to life and empower us and transform us. And so right now, God, everyone under the sound of my voice, wherever they are in Atlantic Canada or beyond, right now, I pray in Jesus' name that we would receive the Holy Spirit fresh. Lord, for the ones who have never, we just remove this kind of second-class citizen mentality that causes us to be too afraid to say, you know what, I've never experienced that. We reject it in Jesus' name. We just call forth hunger in the name of Jesus. And we cry out, Lord, we're hungry. And I pray right now for the one who's never experienced it. Lord, I just pray for a fresh, Lord, Holy Spirit, fall fresh right now on the head, on the heart, on the hands, on the feet, on the bodies of the people right now who are calling out to you, even this moment, Holy Spirit fall, Holy Spirit come, Holy Spirit fill, Holy Spirit dwell, Holy Spirit remain in Jesus' name, on me, in me, through me, on us, in us, through us. And Father, we, we right now join hands and we join hearts and we just say over King's Church, we ask for a fresh outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Even as we can't gather in rooms, Lord, I pray that the same way that, that we, as, even though we aren't gathered in rooms, Lord, I pray that there would be, that that's almost prophetic, that there's not room for us to gather because the Spirit's gonna move in such a powerful way that we're gonna actually have to get outside of the four walls and go into the streets and to bring that power that can't be contained in the temple and can't be contained in four walls, but is going out, the wind going out over all the earth. And so Father, I pray right now in Jesus' name, I ask for a fresh outpouring of the Holy Spirit upon King's Church and the church in Jesus' name. Would you anoint and empower and just like ignite the church around the earth in the name of Jesus. No more powerlessness in Jesus' name. No more powerlessness in the name of Jesus. We speak and we ask in Jesus' name for a fresh outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And now God, would this Pentecost be a moment? Would this be a moment? Even today, Lord, we just, we just prophesy a, a cracking open. We prophesy a fresh 
outpouring of the Holy Spirit on the earth that would actually overflow into a wave of renewal, a wave of revival, that millions of people on planet earth would be convicted by the Holy Spirit. They'd see Jesus for the first time and they'd turn their lives to him. And so, Father, we just, we just ask in Jesus' name, hear your church cry out. We not, we not only need to be filled, but fill us to overflowing that it would flow out into the streets and into the government and into the school system and into the homes and into neighborhoods and into the economy, Lord. We ask in Jesus' name, into nature. Lord, we ask for such a sweeping revival of your life-giving spirit that even the land bears witness to it in Jesus' name. So Father, we thank you today. I just feel your presence. We thank you that when we ask, Jesus said when we ask, what father gives their kids a stone when they ask for bread? And how much more would the father give the Holy Spirit for those who ask? And so God, hear us humbly ask today for your spirit in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.